It's really hard to run a company, any company really, but especially if you're one of the most influential startups in Silicon Valley. Case in point, OpenAI. This is the company behind ChatGPT. And in the last nine days, the company has seen turmoil the chatbot itself would have a hard time scripting. This morning, a blockbuster shakeup in the world of artificial intelligence. Just Here's a quick recap. On the 17th, the company's board abruptly fired its CEO and co-founder, Sam Altman. The board saying that he's not equipped to lead the company right now. He hasn't been very transparent. Another co-founder, Greg Brockman, then quit in protest. They both went over to Microsoft, which is OpenAI's biggest financial backer, to lead a new artificial intelligence research division. In the meantime, OpenAI cycled through two more CEOs and faced a staff revolt over how they handled the whole thing. And then the company reversed course and announced it was bringing back Sam Altman with a new board. In short, this was a freaking mess. This all matters because artificial intelligence is here. It is the future. There are serious conversations about whether or not it's moving too fast. Can it be weaponized? What does it mean? For and that's left some asking. If a company like OpenAI can't execute basic HR moves correctly, why should they be trusted with technology that promises to reshape how we live and work? That question is on my mind as we start a week that will see the beginning of the annual UN climate conference known as COP. COP28 will be held in Dubai, and while the stakes are always high for these conferences, recently the warning signs of climate change have been flashing brighter than ever. For example, the Earth's global temperature was recently two degrees Celsius hotter than pre-industrialization levels. It hit the mark only briefly, but that two-degree limit is the big red number scientists say we have to avoid at all costs if we want to continue living on this planet. This year, the last 12 uh, months, hottest in the last 125,000 years at least, uh, we've shattered every record imaginable. So the trend line is unmistakable that the planet is overheating. So as world leaders gather around the table to talk about solutions, is AI a possible answer? My guests this week are CNN's Claire Duffy, who covers business and technology, and CNN's Rachel Ramirez, who's on our climate team. We're gonna talk about the possible uses for AI in the fight against climate change and why it could actually exacerbate some all too familiar problems. From CNN, this is One Thing. I'm David Ryan. I guess I want to start here. We've covered AI on this show before, and a lot of the conversation has been around these dark warnings about how it's going to, you know, steal jobs, fuel disinformation, and maybe one day rise up against the human race, depending on who you talk to. So why are we talking about it as a potential tool to help fight climate change, which actually does have these end-of-the-world type stakes attached to it? Well, first, it's definitely not a silver bullet, right, to our enormous climate problem. But just to set the foundation, the bottom line is we're seriously running out of time mm. to really shift the trajectory that we as a planet um, are heading to avoid irreversible harm. So the science is really showing that a lot of the pollution that we've emitted as a society is already locked into the system, meaning that a lot of the consequences that we'll see are now inevitable. It's like baked in, it's going to happen. Yes, yes. And so it's those emissions that 
we can still kind of dial back that we really need to address mm. and work on. So we need all the updated science, all the big data, and all this like cocktail of solutions to really get back on track. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that speed part that Rachel's talking about. AI has these massive predictive capabilities. It can process these huge amounts of data much faster than traditional computing. Mm. With conventional computing, what you're doing is essentially saying, here's the selection of data, here's this input, Please Please give me this specific output. With AI, what you can do is say, please consider this whole universe of information and tell me what I should be thinking about it and what questions I should be asking about it. It's meant to sort of reason in a way that a human could. And some of the folks that we talked to said that it actually part of the acceleration that can happen here is you remove people from the equation in some ways. You say the constraints of the human brain. Yeah, you don't have to have researchers who need food and sleep. Humans can't be removed from the equation altogether, but you can say, here's a hundred years worth of data on, you know, a hundred different things. Please tell me about this. What kinds of questions should we be asking to direct our research? So what are some potential real world examples of how AI can be used in this space? So climate science experts say there are essentially like three main buckets to think about in terms of trying to address climate change and that AI can help with all three. So in the first bucket, you have trying to change, as Rachel said, our current way of operating so that we don't make things any worse. And so we learned about this one example. Google's DeepMind Research Institute is using artificial intelligence to sort of predict the availability of wind energy. Mm. They trained this AI model on weather forecasts and historical wind turbine data. And it was allowed the system to make advanced commitments of wind wind energy to know when that wind was going to be blowing. Mm. And in that way, it made the wind energy more valuable. So that's an example in bucket one. But what about figuring out how to mitigate or reverse the impacts of climate change? So for mitigation, a really key part in that is just thinking about how we can expand um, our climate science research. So there's this scientist that I talked to named Anna, based in Alaska, and she's studying how permafrost um, melts in the Arctic. So she's using AI to now make seasonal forecasts on permafrost melt instead of predicting sort of the typical 100-year timescale that a lot of climate researchers do. And so in this way, it analyzes the historical data, the present data, and also kind of analyzes all the future scenarios of what will happen if the world emits X amount of emissions. And so what about, you mentioned adapting to the effects of climate change that are already here. How is AI influencing that area? So one of the people that we talked to is this founder of um, a startup based in Silicon Valley called Climate AI. And Climate AI is basically developing this tool using artificial intelligence to evaluate how exposed crops could be to warming temperatures over the next uh, two decades. Yeah, so, so it's basically start with my story. I mean, I come from a very small town village in the north of India. Uh, and, and this guy, Himanshu Gupta is his name. Uh, he grew up in a small village in India where drought was often a familiar visitor. Whenever there were drought, my mother would, uh, you know, take all of, all of us four siblings and uh, for, for like a one kilometer walk to the nearby river. 
So that basically inspired him to kind of develop this tool. And so the tool that they created is now an app. Engineers basically are able to extract the climate, the water, and soil characteristics of a certain location that's been plagued by climate disasters. So what they can come is they can come into a platform and go to a specific location, drop a pin on the platform, and also specify I'm growing tomato seeds. Um, and it measures how side. viable the landscape is or mm. would be in the coming years so that farmers could then kind of adjust their plans, their farming plans accordingly. Or figure out if it's even going to be farmable at all. Yes. And then they would consider going somewhere else if it wasn't. Yeah. So one example specifically is in uh, Maharashtra, India, um, where tomato producers, they were really worried about how, um, this major crop loss that they've, they've been seeing because of the extreme drought there. The platform will automatically extract uh, the climate, water, uh, soil characteristics mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. location, growing tomato seeds, and pattern match it with, uh, in the next 10 years, due to climate change, what are the new locations coming up uh, where this company can move and start growing tomato seeds. And for this state, Climate AI found that extreme heat and drought would lead to a roughly 30% decrease in tomato seed output in the region within mm. the next two decades. And then they warned the farmers that the location might prove, quote, non-viable in the coming years. With that information, they adjusted their plans for farming. This process takes two, three years for them to figure out. Now it can happen in a matter of minutes. We're less than a year out from a presidential election in the U.S. I realized that may kind of stress you out, but CNN Five Things is here to help. We're a podcast that gets you caught up on five big stories in five minutes or less. So whether it's keeping up with politics or anything else that's going on in the world, we've got you covered. That's the CNN Five Things podcast. Listen on your favorite podcast app. So that all sounds pretty great, honestly. But like I alluded to at the top, AI is like extremely unregulated at this point in time. And lawmakers have a hard enough time, especially in this country, passing climate policy without any other tech considerations attached to it. So just how willing are the people in charge of making these important decisions going to be about embracing this as a possible solution? So COP is in Dubai this year, and there's going to be a lot of contentious issues that will be on the table, that will be negotiated upon. And one of the things that will be at COP this year in the first few days will be um, this thing called the Climate Innovation Forum. And it's basically a curated selection of different tech themes, including big data and artificial intelligence, which I assume will intersect with a lot of the discussions on climate solutions at COP. Yeah, and I mean, I think beyond even climate change, we've seen huge adoption of this AI technology. It's happened even faster than proponents of the technology thought that it would. It's really been exploding. And then, you know, as you said, David, you start to see these regulators go, oh my gosh, we need to wrap our heads around this. There are lots of things for them to think about. But one thing that hasn't been talked about as much in terms of regulation that climate scientists say is really important to consider is the potential impact of AI on the environment. Hmm. There are all of these possible benefits that AI could have in terms of the fight against climate change. But 
at the end of the day, the thing that makes AI work is essentially these warehouses of really powerful computers. Mm. And as you can imagine, that requires tons of energy as well as a lot of water for cooling. And so it's sort of this race against time for AI to help solve climate change or address climate change while it's also making the problem worse. So it's sucking up a lot of energy just to run these programs and that could also be contributing to the climate problem Mm -hmm. as well. Exactly. Yes, it is. You know, AI is going to have to try to figure out how to solve this problem that it, too, is contributing to. And there are a number of thoughts about how this might be addressed. Regulators could require that AI data centers run partly on renewable energy. That's something that's been talked about with Bitcoin. Um, Some data center operators are also talking about locating their data centers in places where it's already cold, like Mm. Mm -hmm. Scandinavia, so that they don't have to use as much water for cooling. There is like this worry about who is going to have access to this technology. Is it just going to be the Googles and the Microsofts Mm. and the open AIs of the world? Or are we going to spread this around to more people so that everybody can be using AI in this way that could be potentially beneficial? I was going to actually touch on that too, because the fight against climate change you know, a lot of climate protesters and climate activists have been saying this wouldn't be successful without climate justice, right? And a part of climate justice is accessibility and affordability. And with the farmer situation example that we talked about, a lot of the farmers that have access to the climate AI tool are farmers that are well off. What Mm. about farmers that don't have access to internet and can't just log in on their phone and access this type of information? So it could exacerbate inequalities that have been going on for decades as part of this climate discussion already. Right. So we need to think about how do we scale up AI in order to also cover all those communities. And I think to sort of just bring us full circle to the beginning of this discussion, David, you were talking about these sort of apocalyptic predictions that people are making about AI. And there are concerns that those kinds of conversations, the saying there's going to be a computer revolution that takes out humanity, are actually distracting from these much more immediate and real concerns and conversations that people should be having about how this technology is being used and who has access to it. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. And if you want to read more of Claire and Rachel's reporting, you can check it out at CNN's Road to Cop, which is online right now. We'll leave a link to it in our show notes. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. Our senior producer is Fez Jamil. Our supervising producer is Greg Peppers. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Dan DeZula is our technical director. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. We get support from Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lenny Steinhardt, Jameis Andrews, Nicole Passaru, and Lisa Namoro. Special thanks to Haley Thomas, Lindsay Reed, and Katie Hinman. We'll be back on Sunday with another episode. Talk to you later.
Hi, everyone. I've joined forces with best-selling author and Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks. Our book, Build the Life You Want, resonated with readers with a debut at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Now Arthur and I are together again for this three-part podcast series. We have a personality profiling test. And, I think and people are loving that, too. We'll also answer questions from readers. How has your approach to getting happier changed? So let's get happier. This is Build the Life You Want, the podcast.